0: Matthew 14, we've been going through Matthew for a while. I think this is the 50th sermon in Matthew. It's not a bad effort, is it? But like we're halfway. So I, I reckon if we can get to like triple figures, that would be awesome. That's my target 100 sermons in Matthew. Um, so this is number 50, I think. And it's uh, Matthew 14 22 to 33. If you've got a Bible, I'm just going to read it. It says this immediately. Uh, So that's Jesus. He made the disciples get into a boat, go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. He'd just been feeding 5,000 people, so there's a whole bunch of people knocking about. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is your command, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Just pausing for dramatic effect. He walked on water. It's pretty epic. Um, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Everyone know that story? Or oh, has heard that story before? It's like a it's a classic, isn't it? It's one of the ones that you teach children, if you like. Oh, here's a nice story um, about Jesus and his disciples, um, and you you have I don't know. If, well, I've seen these back in the day, like the kids' books, and it's like this. It's all like angelic, you know. If there could be a rainbow there, there'd be a rainbow. And Jesus is walking on the water and it's somehow daytime and there's not a wave in sight and everything's beautiful and dolphins are clapping their hands together. And it's like all of creation is like, this is awesome. It's a bit like the little mermaid. You know, that song, Kiss the Girl and all the animals are like, enjoying themselves. It's happy scene. That's what's That's what was kind of cultivated in our mind, at least when we're kids. And at least through Sunday school, we're like, oh, this is what it's like. What an amazing thing. What a beautiful picture. Like some kind of magic show, almost. Some magic performance where Jesus walks on water just because he can. Like a party trick. But it's not a party trick, is it? We all have party tricks that we only do at parties. I've got this cool thing, oh, that's not cool. I can do this thing with my ears. I'm not going to do it because it's not a party. But I can put my ears inside themselves. <laughs> you can hackle me all you want, but it's not a party. So I'm not doing it. So next time there's a party, just invite me so I can do that. But we've all got party tricks. There's people here, I know there's people here that do weird things with their arms and like can bend them in like unholy ways. Like, like that. And oh, you know the people that can put their arms over their heads backwards and all sorts of things. This isn't a party trick that Jesus is doing. This isn't like... Look what I can do, fellas. I can walk on the water. This is something much more than that. It's interesting as well, the Egyptians, um, the Egyptian people, the ancient, kind of one of the ancient civilizations, they had an emblem that said, this thing is impossible. Something was impossible. They had an emblem that symbolized it. That emblem was walking on water. This thing is impossible. All the ancient worlds believed that. Nobody was doing it. And yet here we have Jesus walking on water. It's not something that you do. I don't know if you've ever tried. Um, As a kid growing up, you would do that fun thing where you stand on the edge of the swimming pool. Everybody remember this? And you would like try and walk on water. Just me? Okay. Well, I would try it. And obviously fall in and then you start falling in in dramatic ways and trying to make it funny. And this is just me that does this, isn't it? (laughs) I still do it now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, well, we, we try these things, I think. But like, you know, you're stood on the edge, and I can picture myself doing this after probably reading about it at Sunday school, going, if I just believe, I can walk on water too. And then obviously it didn't happen for me. Um, but it did for Jesus. I know that we may have seen like Chris Angel or Dynamo supposedly walking on water. I don't know if you've seen the YouTube video of Dynamo crossing the River Thames. don't know if you've heard of this invention. It's really clever. Um, It's called pexiglass. And what they do is in the middle of the night, the night before, they put it underneath the water so that you can walk on glass, not water. We know that, right? Dynamo didn't really walk on the River Thames. It's all a magic show. Yet Jesus here is a storm. There's no pexiglass involved. It's a storm. There's raging winds. There's raging waves. It is impossible. On the face of it, impossible to do. And yet, God's in the business of taking impossibilities and turning them into possibilities, isn't He? That's what He does. It was impossible for us to know God until Jesus stepped in. Impossible. We were far off, we were distant, and yet Jesus makes it possible. And the same thing He's doing here, He's stepping in. And before we get to that part of the story, I want to just look at something that proceeds him walking on water and I want to talk about prayer because it's interesting that you know Jesus spends quite a bit of time in prayer before heading out onto the open water. You want to see people come to faith, you want to see the miraculous, you want to see the supernatural, pray and then pray some more and then pray some more. These things come out of the place of prayer, they don't just happen, it's intimacy in the relationship with God, and these things flow out of it. And Jesus here, you will see, okay, his, his mate, John the Baptist, has been executed. or oh, Well, not more than a mate, his cousin has been executed. And so you read earlier on in chapter 14 that he tries to go off to a desolate place, probably to grieve, probably to pray, probably to spend some time with his heavenly Father. But huge crowds follow him. 5,000 men. So you're looking about 15,000 people possibly if you add up the women and children. Follow him. And then they're all in the countryside. They're not near co-op, so he needs to feed them. So he, he shares a few things and then feeds the 5,000 people. We have that story earlier on in chapter 14. But he went off to be by himself. He didn't go off to feed the 5,000 people. That wasn't the plan. That wasn't what he was doing. And you know what? So often that can be like us, actually. We go, right, well, I need to pray. I know I need to pray. I need to get, start of the day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. But then your phone rings or somebody goes, oh, have you seen this cat video on YouTube? You know, or have you answered that text or have you made that phone call? Or, oh, have you, have you gone to the shops for this or have you done that or have you done that? And all of a sudden, the prayer and the intimacy and being by yourself with God just gets pushed to one side. And you go, it's okay, guys, because I'll come back to it. I'll just take this phone call, and then I'll come back to it. Except we never do. But I want you to see here what Jesus does. He feeds the 5,000 people. He's full of compassion. Then what does he do? Even though there's been the distraction in one, in one sense, says, immediately, we know what that means, right? Don't need to translate that, do I, into the Greek? Immedi- immediately, he went from that place, made the disciples get in the boat, dismissed the crowds, and goes up on the mountain to pray by himself. He does what he intended to do. He's had the distractions, if you like. All right, he he fed the 5,000 people. But he he went to do what he needed to do. He didn't let life and stuff get in the way of him pursuing intimacy with his father. So often that's what happens to us. We set out with the intention that I'm going to pray. I'm going to read through the Bible in one year this year. And then life happens, doesn't it? Stuff happens. Things get in the way. You get ill or you go on holiday and then you get out of the rhythm and the routine or work's really tough right now. Or I'm moving house so I don't have time for that God. And yet Jesus returns to what he set out to do. You know, when you pray or when you're reading the Bible, please don't view that as dead time please don't view that as I'll get this done and then I'll move on with the rest of my day. It's the most important part of your day and everything else flows from it. Yet so often we see it as like dead time. Oh, well, I'll pray and then I'll start work. I'll get on with the real business. Except for Jesus here, I mean, you can do the basic maths, okay? He goes up onto the mountainside and then when he's walking on water, it's the fourth watch of the night, which is between 6 and uh, between 3 and 6 a.m., okay, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So that means he's probably been on the mountainside for a good eight hours. I'm not saying, like, you know, for your quiet time, have an eight-hour quiet time every day because you might not get anything else done. But here, you might, you know, you might get in trouble with work if you're saying, I can't come in today because I'm doing my quiet time. And that might not go down so well. But, I mean, worth a go on a Saturday. If you're not, you know, I think. But here, Jesus, eight, nine hours spending time in the presence of his Father. He's intentional. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the miracle maker, the most amazing guy ever, still went off into quiet places to seek out a relationship with his Father. How much more do you think we need that then? How much more than Jesus do we need to create the time and fashion the time in order to go after God? The boat, incidentally, has also been traveling for eight, nine hours probably, against the wind, struggling away, but these are experienced fishermen, some of them, they should be all right, they should be fine, but it's not a pleasurable experience. I've done a little bit of deep sea fishing, caught a few bits here and there, um, and it's been a bit choppy, but I've never been in a storm, thankfully. I've not even been on a ferry crossing where there's been a storm, Has anyone been on a storm when they've been on a boat? A few, actually. Good effort. I can't imagine it's a pleasurable experience. I imagine it's one of those where you're like, I hope we get through this. Like, I hope I last the next hour. Or, oh, maybe we should start praying that this wind dies down because we've still got a long way to go. One of those nervy moments. And then between the hours of three and six, so it's dark, probably got a bit of moonlight, stars shining brightly into the darkness. He came to them, speaking of Jesus, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. Now, I think I would have probably said the same thing and I'd have been a bit freaked out, but I just kind of feel like if they were like why are they not expecting that Jesus is going to come? Why are they not thinking, Jesus has sent us in the boat. How's Jesus getting to the other side? Like we're going ahead of him. What's he doing? Catching a plane? Walking around the lake? How's Jesus crossing? Like does that thought not, do they not think of that? Thinking, well, when are we going to see him again? And maybe as the hours go by and they're thinking, this is hard work, this is hard work. And I'm thinking, maybe it would be helpful if Jesus could come and help us. Maybe it would be good if the Son of God could come and sort out this storm. Except when he turns up, they're like, it's a ghost. They're not looking for him. Sometimes when we're in the storms of life, you might be in one right now. We're so busy and so absorbed by it, we don't look for Jesus. And when we don't look for Jesus, we completely miss him. Like, And we're we're downcast, probably. Our eyes are on the floor. These guys are so down and not really looking for Jesus that they think it's a ghost. They think it's anything but the Son of God. I know it's weird that he's walking on water because it's not something that we see normally, but this is Jesus. This is the guy who just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. He should be able to walk on water. They should have that kind of somewhere in the back of their minds that this is possible for someone like Jesus when we're in those moments when we're crossing if you like on the journeys of life we've got to be looking out for God we've got to be looking out for the supernatural happening and actually taking our natural situations and our circumstances and supernaturally God coming into that and bringing change we've got to be of all the people on earth we've got to be the people that are on the lookout for that on the lookout for moves of God wanting to be part of what God is doing. Anyway, they don't get it. They still think it's a ghost. So Jesus has to say to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That's what he has to say. Don't worry, chaps, it's me. But actually, it is I, the literal phrase that Jesus would have used is I am. So don't worry, I am. Now, for those who have read a bit of Exodus, We'll know that when Moses is uh, doing his thing and he's wandering uh, with his sheep, he comes across a burning bush. And it's God in the burning bush. And uh, Moses is like, well, who are you? What do I tell people? What should I say your name is? People are going to ask. I've had this weird conversation, but people are going to ask, who did I have this conversation with? And God says, I am. That's my name. I am who I am. And Jesus here in the storm, if you like, and there. well, who's this? Who are you? Says the same thing. I am. In other words, I'm God is what he's saying to them. If they hadn't got the memo already that he was the son of God, again, he's reiterating, I'm like no one else. I am. That's my name. That's who I am. And it's a personal name. God has so many names, okay? In the Old Testament, you'll see so many names. I mean, we sung about a couple of them, the lion and the lamb and all these metaphors. There's lots of names for God. The personal name for God Yahweh, I am. Like, Jesus is saying, I'm here, I'm here for you. It's okay, I'm with you. The personal name for God. The one who created the wind, the one who created the waves, that's me. I'm here. Have no fear, I'm with you in the storm. Both literally, but I think for us, not many of us are fishermen, I don't think, here in Chesterfield. The furthest point from the sea, I think. But like, in the storms of life, if you like, Jesus says, I am. I am all you need. Look to me. Don't look to other things for a solution. Fix your eyes upon me. We can often feel like Peter and the other disciples, I think, in the boat. Doesn't it often feel like, I feel like this, in my limited experience, I feel like when it comes to like, the storms of life, for whatever reason, God allows it to go down to the wire. Anybody else? Sometimes you think, oh, this is like, and it's almost as if my faith is being stretched and stretched and stretched. Are you going to trust me now? Well, what happens if this? Are you going to trust me now? Are you going to keep trusting me even when it gets harder than it is right now? And yet it goes down to the wire and then God comes through time and again, whether it's with, well, whatever it might be when we had our, I'm not going to go into it now, you can preview and go through all our YouTube videos, but our housing situation when we moved from the last place we were in to this place and it completely came out of the blue at the last minute before we were going to be kicked out and have nowhere to go. And you're like, it would have been great for that to happen four months ago, God. It would have saved me a whole heap of stress, but maybe I wouldn't have trusted him with it. And maybe there's thing's going on in your life at the moment, you're like, I really wish I had an answer right now, God. And God's response is, do you trust me? do you trust me? Will you keep going? Will you keep trusting in me even when it's hard? Even with the things that we want to hold on to, with our finances, with our health. You know, we're very good at saying, yes, God, take all of me except for that bit. I'll trust you with this, but not my money. Or I'll trust you with this, but not my health. Whatever it might be, but not with work and job security and family. Yet he says, actually, do you trust me with all those things too? I mean, look at this. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I read that and I was just like, Peter, what are you on? Like, I'm not being funny. What a legend. Jesus, if, if it's you, then command me to come to you and I'll be able to come out to you on the water. What an absolute legend Peter is. You notice the other 11, what are they doing? Having a picnic? None of them are saying, Lord, if it's really you, I'll come to you. But Peter, Peter goes, you know what, I'll give this a go. Seriously, Peter walks on water. Now, Jesus walking on water, I think we can kind of get that, right? Yeah, I can. I'm like, he's the miracle maker. He's the son of God. Of course he can walk on water. But Peter, Peter, the fisherman? I mean, if he had that skill, he wouldn't need boats. Just be spearing. He'd be like the best fisherman ever. Of all the people. Peter walks on water. I think that's why I believed I could do it at the swimming pool. Because Peter could. And we're a bit like Peter, aren't we? We're a bit like the other disciples, actually. Full of that mixture of doubt and fear and faith and hope and expectation. And there's that famous book, isn't there? Um, I think it's by, oh, I want to say Ray Ortland, but I don't know if that's right. Um, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat. Peter puts his trust in Jesus. The other 11, I have no idea what they're doing. I have no idea. Maybe they're just egging on Peter going, Peter, Peter. I don't know. We're not told. But Peter goes, I'll go for it. And gets out of the boat. You know, if you want to see God do amazing things, get out of the boat. Whatever that might be, step out in faith. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Well, it's not a sport, but it's not a spectator sport. It's not a, oh, I'll just sit and I'll watch on. It's actually an active trust and faith in Jesus that's personal to you and part of something that's bigger than yourself, a church family or a church across the globe. It is not something you just sit and watch. It's something that you, in faith, you get on with. Just look at the amazing stories in the Old Testament, and you see it time and again. People stepping out in faith. People taking a risk. Gideon. Or Moses. Delivering people from Egypt. It's huge. He didn't just watch on and go... Oh, it's not ideal that Pharaoh's got us enslaved. He did something about it. He put his trust in God, and he went. You know, if we want to see God do amazing things, he wants to use you. You say, oh, I work in a really difficult place. Well, I tell you, it would be a less difficult place if all those people knew Jesus. Well, in theory. Like, you're you know, actually we can be the, you know, we can have an impact on our places of work, at the school gate. Actually, like, we can step out in faith. We can say, I'm going to be brave here and I'm going to say something. I'm going I'm to talk about why I have hope and believe for a miracle when everyone else has written it off. You know, I've heard so many stories of people that were poorly and doctors turn around and say, there's nothing we can do. And then God steps in. Now, that doesn't happen for everyone, of course, but it happens to some people, which tells me something, that actually we're to be people that want to see God move supernaturally. Soul Survivor have coined this phrase, I really wish I'd come up with it, that we should be naturally supernatural, naturally a supernatural people. That it's not just this world, but there is a spiritual realm as well. That miracles do happen. That we should long to see them. Not for the sake of them, but that people would know Jesus. Why do I want to see the sick better? Well, because I don't want people to be sick, but I also want people to meet Jesus. I want to see people set free from pain and suffering. Of course we do. They're all good things. We want to see people set free from fear. But in order to do that, you've got to head to Jesus. Jesus. That's exactly what Peter does. I suppose the question is, do you want to be like Peter or do you want to be like the other 11 that just stay sat in the boat, comfortable? Well, probably weren't that comfortable, actually, in a storm, but not stepping out in faith. Or would you rather be like Peter and go, you know what, I'll give this a go. With whatever challenge, whatever storm of life, I'm going to believe and continue to trust in you. Our faith is not an optional extra. You know, sometimes we think, oh, it's just some, it's not an optional extra. It's part of what it means to follow God. You know, I've said this before, and I say it again my dad, um, who is probably um, the most heroic person that I know for me in terms of faith, uh, which is great, isn't it? You know, if you're a dad here, then well, that's what you want as your legacy that your children would know Jesus. But, like, for me, a real inspiration. Um, and he used to take me playing football all the time. I was explaining how much I played football the other day to people. It was like eight times a week, every night, multiple games on different days. And my dad would basically be Dan's taxi. I think I've got all that to come, the whole taxi business thing, Um, unless they get really good at walking. Um, But he was like my personal chauffeur, he was great. Um, And then he got ME. And he went from always being at work, full-time, always being at football, always being there, to actually, you'd wake up in the morning, Dad would still be in bed. He'd have no energy. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't cook tea anymore. He was just a broken man. And you know what? We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I know my mum and dad prayed every single day that he would be miraculously healed. And they went to conferences and they pursued the presence of God. And they, they made space to follow after him. And loads and loads of times they would, full of faith, be like, God, would you heal me? God, I'm believing that you're going to heal me, that you're going to change the situation. Time and again, time and again. And nothing happened. He went through phases of getting better, but then would be poorly again for years and years and years. And I mean seven or eight years of this going on. And as time goes on, you can become a bit more hopeless, can't you? You can become a bit like dejected and like, maybe God won't ever heal me. And maybe you start to stay in the boat. You no longer believe in the same way you used to. You maybe don't take the risk that you used to in believing for something or asking God for something anymore because, well, he hasn't healed me yet, so maybe I'll stop asking. I remember we went to this conference seven or eight years later, I wasn't there, and this teenage boy, maybe 14 year old, had a vision or had a picture of my dad And his heart and his body and chains breaking around his heart and his body. And he went and he shared it with my dad and my dad broke down. And that day he was set free from ME. And he's not had it ever since. Which is amazing. But he missed my glorious football career. So it's not good enough. (laughs) He knows I'm joking if he catches this on. Kind of. But God healed him in God's time. And maybe it felt like he was going to the wire. But maybe it was like, do you trust me? Are you still going to get out of the boat? Are you still going to believe even though it's really hard right now? Will you still trust that I am a God who can heal you? Incidentally, I've said this before, but nowhere in Scripture does it guarantee that you will be healed of your sickness. God doesn't say that. But the Bible does say, pray for it. And to ask for it. And in my experience, I've seen people healed. And so we'll continue to pray for the sick because God heals today. heals ultimately in that one day we'll be completely set free, but he heals right now too. So we need to be a people that lay hands on one another and pray that people are set free. Pray that the sick are healed. We believe that, don't we? Because we believe in a supernatural God. That our natural limitations are not limitations to the God of the universe. They're not. It it doesn't operate in the same way. The challenge is, do we see the problems? Do we see the issues? Or do we see the solution? So often, we're caught up in seeing all the issues and, oh, I'm this, I'm that, that we don't see Jesus. That we don't see the one who can deliver us. We don't see the one who fills us with his spirit and rescues us. The question, I suppose, is what are your eyes fixed on? What you spend your time dwelling on will dictate whether you get out of the boat or not. If you spend all your time dwelling on the problems, life's like this, life's like that. It's not changing. You're not going to get out of the boat. But if you spend your time dwelling on Jesus, then you will. And I want you to note this. Say the boat's here and Jesus is over there. When Peter gets out and walks on water, who's he stepping towards? He's heading towards Jesus. That's way better than staying over here. It's way better to have a go and head towards him. Now, we read on a little bit in a second, but God wants us to trust him. Peter actually walks on water. He walks on water. Isaiah 43 says this, Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. He's talking about Israel, but I think the promise applies to us today. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burnt, and the flame shall not consume you. We're not one of those churches that take that verse literally. We're not going to start setting off fires at the front. But metaphorically speaking here, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In other words, when you trust in me, I'm going to be with you. I am. I'm not going to let you down. I'll be there because he promises he will. Peter's first steps are ace, aren't they? don't know how many he took. don't know if he started skipping. But his first steps are brilliant. But he takes his eyes off Jesus. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, even if we start really well, what happens? What happens to Peter? He starts to sink. And that's precisely what happens to us when we start taking our eyes off Jesus. We can start really well. We can make a decision to follow after Jesus, brilliant. But then the wind and the waves are still there and they occupy our headspace and we take our eyes off Jesus and before we know it, we're sinking. But even though Peter starts to sink, this might be controversial, I don't know. Even though Peter starts to sink, I'd rather be Peter sinking than sat in the boat. I'd rather have got out and had a go than to still be sat in the boat never knowing, never exercising faith, never fully committing and putting my trust in Jesus. You know what? Our sinking can be a little bit like when we, you know, we feel like we get out of the boat, we've been praying, we see God move, and then we carry on praying, and all of a sudden, it's like they're bouncing off the ceiling. We start to stumble a little bit, and before we know it, we're kind of looking at the problems instead of the solution again and we begin to sink but we still have to have a go. I've got this picture, I hope, that's on the screen, I think. Great. Is anyone, uh, well, it's got the website on the bottom. Um, I don't know if you've seen this picture before. Um, it's by a guy called Yong Sum Kim, apparently. I've not heard of him either. And um that's Jesus from Peter's perspective. When Peter starts to sink, when life becomes too much for him, I don't know if you've noticed this, he cries out for help. He doesn't just go down quietly. He shouts, Lord, save me. And I, whenever I read this passage, I think of that picture of what it must have been like for Peter, like under the water. He shouted, Lord, save me. And then Jesus reaches down and grabs him and lifts him up out of the water. I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. It makes me think of, you know, when that useless hobbit, Samwise Gamgee, uh, he can't swim and he's drowning and then Frodo lifts him up out of the water. And you think, "Oh no, it's terrible. He's just died." And yet he's rescued. Like Peter must have felt like that. Oh, it's all gone wrong. Jesus said, "Come out to me," and I've done it and I've stepped out in faith, but it's all gone wrong. And yet Jesus rescues him, lifts him up out of the water. It's a beautiful picture of what God does, isn't it? You know, for every single one of us, when we get out of the boat, when we head towards Jesus, when we say, I'm going to follow after you, there will be moments where we sink. There's going to be moments where we're getting it wrong. There's going to be moments where our eyes and our focus is not on the solution of Jesus, but are on the problems. We're distracted, right? That's going to be us at any given time. It could be us right now. And yet, Jesus rescues us. Jesus pulls us back up again. And calms the sea. And they all glorify him and worship him because he's the son of God. You know, our lives can be messy, can't they? Full of those moments where we're sinking. And yet, Jesus rescues us. Our lives were messy with sin corrupted and messed up by bad choices and stuff we've done. And yet Jesus dies upon a cross and says, forgive them. I do this because I want them to know me. I want them to know my father. And if we put our trust in Jesus today, then we're offered new life. If you were to shout, Lord, save me, he's going to save you. Peter shouted, Lord, save me, and he's rescued. But we've got to call upon the name of the Lord. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we have to do. We have to call upon his name in the storm of life. Because everybody faces that. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, there are storms that come our way. And maybe this morning you are metaphorically in the boat that Jesus is over here and he says, Well, do you want to trust in me for the first time? Or do you want to stay in the storm of life without me? And that's the choice we face. Are we going to stay in the boat? Or are we going to have a go? Are we going to go all in and say, yes, I'll follow after you? And that journey, once we've done that, can sometimes look like really good steps. And we're heading towards Jesus. But sometimes we can be sinking. But Jesus picks us up again. And says, I'm with you, I am. And that's almost a picture of the Christian life. The grace of God, the kindness of Jesus to us. You know, what happens if we're sick today and that's all we can think about, the stuff going on and maybe we've given up hope of being healed. Are we going to stop praying or are we in faith going to say, you know what, we'll go again. I'll ask for prayer again and see what Jesus does. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. I want that to be your conclusion. In your life, I want you to have that same conclusion. Whatever you're going through, whatever your face, truly, Jesus, you are the son of God. This impossible situation, this stuff that goes on in our world, by God's grace, we can be taken through it.